Hey there, and welcome to Short Stuff. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry Jerome rolling over there. Yeah. <laughs> the Short only reason stuff. you stopped that note is because you saw me draw it to a close like a conductor. Yeah, I know. You conduct me. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's a t-shirt. <laughs> so this is a follow-up, everyone. We do these occasionally. Uh, about five-ish years ago, Five and a half ish. Five and a half ish. We did five and a, three quarters. <laughs> we did a, a full length episode on uh, the Roanoke Colony, the creepy, mm-hmm. spooky Croatoan mystery of Roanoke. Man, so good. And in it, uh, we spent just a few minutes talking about the Dare Stones. But when I went back and listened to it again, we didn't go into nearly enough detail. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to do that right now. We are. So just to kind of bring you guys back up to date real quick. Roanoke um, was an island. <laughs> it, it, and it still is, as a matter of fact, That's off right. of North Carolina, near the North Carolina-Virginia border. It was the first attempt, I believe, at an English colony. There was a first wave in 1585 that didn't work out. And then a second wave, or maybe it was even the third wave, technically, came along in July of 1587. And this ship carried 90 men, 17 women, and 11 children, and it was led by a guy named John White, who was named the governor of the, I guess, Roanoke Colony. And he had his daughter, Eleanor Dare, with him. Uh, she was married to uh, Ananias Dare. I think that's how you say that, Man, don't that's you? that's a great 16th century name. It sure is. And Ananias, I just want to say that all the time. Yeah. And Eleanor had a baby, the first English-born, or English baby born in America, whose name was Virginia Dare. Now, do you know if they did it in America? Was this conceived in America or just oh. born in America? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I don't know, actually. I'm, kind of, I'm just kind of curious. It doesn't really matter because what really matters is this was the first English baby born mm-hmm. in the New World, and it was a very big deal for little baby Virginia to come along. It was. So um, in short order... Virginia's grandfather, John White, the head of the colony, says, hey, guys, I'm kind of bored. I'm going to go back to England, and I'll get some supplies. I'll be back within a year. You guys Mm -hmm. sit tight. Just keep building this colony up, and uh, it'll be all good. BRB. Right, but he did not BRB. He beat a long time from coming back. (laughs) Right. And about three years' worth, comes back, and no, no one's there. His daughter's gone. His grand yep. little Virginia's gone. Yep. Everybody's gone. Um, the buildings are dismantled. And as you learned in that episode, the word Croatoan was carved. And that was uh, in a, I guess it was a tree, right? Yeah, they carved it into a tree. And Croatoan was the name of a friendly nearby tribe that the, uh, the English had been in contact with. That's right. So uh, what was not there was a cross. And White said, hey, listen. If there's, you know, some bad stuff going on and you guys have to split, like, just to take some time to carve a cross into a tree mm-hmm. so I'll know that bad stuff happened. That cross was not there, so there's always been a big mystery about what Croatoan was all about, why there was no cross, and yeah. what happened to the 118 settlers. Like, that was it. There was, that, was the, that was the sum total of the evidence. And John White asked around a little bit. Didn't try all that hard to find him, actually, for it being the, you know, his— daughter, his son-in-law, and his granddaughter. And the first American. Right, exactly. First English American. Sure. Um, You want to get us killed? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And uh, 
So he, he goes back to England, and the, the mystery just sets in. Uh, when Jamestown settlers come along, they ask around. They hear, they hear rumors of um, tribes that are made up of, like, uh, light-skinned people who speak English and live in two-story thatched-roof houses. Um, but none of it is ever confirmed. There's no evidence whatsoever what happened to these lost colonists at Roanoke. And that's the way it was for... 350-ish years until uh, the summer of 1937 when a guy from California named L.E. Hammond, which as I've, I've found um, is not to be confused with Le Hammond Inferno, which is a synth band that I came across <laughs> today accidentally. Uh, are you into them now? I kind of. They're pretty good. Um, his name was actually Lewis Hammond. But he was a produce dealer from California, and he showed up at Emory University and said, hey, I'm on vacation in North Carolina with my wife looking for hickory nuts, as you do. Sure. And I found this weird stone. What do you guys make of this thing? Yeah, so uh, Emory's right here in Atlanta, and it was inscribed and with a message, and he said, can you guys tell me what this says? And I'm going to read it right now in full. Good. This is the sort of, uh, you know, modernized version. Yeah. Because it was it's sort of like reading... Uh, Jeffrey Chaucer or something. Right. So it has to get translated. So here's what it said. Father, soon after you go for England, we came here. Only misery and war for two years, above half dead, these two years, more from sickness, being 24. A savage with a message of a ship came to us. Within a small space of time, they became frightened of revenge and ran all away. We believe it was not you. Soon after, the savages said spirits were angry. Suddenly, they murdered all save seven. That means all but seven. Mm -hmm. My child and Ananias, too, were slain with much misery. Is there any other way to be slain is my question. <laughs> uh, buried all near four miles east of this river upon a small hill. Names were written all there on a rock. Put this there also. If a savage shows this to you, we promised you would give them great plenty presents. Right. So there you have it. Yep. And it was signed. Mystery solved, right? E.W.D. Eleanor White Dare. That's what you would think. Yeah. And so the Emory professors are like, where did you get this? You may have just solved like a 350-year-old mystery. And, and uh, Lewis Hammond was like, uh, I don't know, uh -huh. somewhere <laughs> about 50 miles inland. And they went, what did you just say? He said, I don't know, about 50 miles from Roanoke Island. And they said, well, you know, John White, the governor, famously reckoned that the Roanoke uh, colonists had moved 50 miles into the main. So that would definitely coincide with that idea. Um, so they went back to this area where um, Lewis Hammond found this rock, and they could not find the spot. He couldn't find the spot where he originally found it to show them. But he left it with them. I think sold it to him, I think, is more accurate. And then went back to California and was scarcely heard from again. That's right. So we're going to take a break. Break. We're going to come back and tell you, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. So here's the deal with that original stone. Um, Depends on who you talk to. Some people say it was authentic. Uh, some people still say it's authentic and may have solved the mystery. Some people say, no, it was not. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But 
what happened was the whole country started talking. Uh, there was a professor at Emory named Haywood J. Pierce Jr. Nice. who published that paper, uh, published a paper t- talking all about the stone in the Journal of Southern History in 1938. He had his father, Haywood J. Pierce Sr. Dad. And he owned, daddy owned a college, uh, Brunel University, which is in Gainesville, Georgia. So now uh, it was Brunel University now, I think. <laughs> Brunel now. Just, Catch the fever. <laughs> that's, probably, that's probably on a shirt somewhere. <laughs> so... They started to have suspicions because, uh, like you said, when they went back, they couldn't really find exactly where he found it. They got, a, a, I guess, a private investigator or somebody in California to look into this Hammond guy, and they really couldn't find much to corroborate a story or even who he said he was other than his name and address. I saw an internet sleuth explained it by saying, you know what, this guy was married before in, oh. in a 1920 census. Um, he has two children and by 1937 they were still underage so um he may may have been laying low and keeping away from publicity so he wouldn't pay child support oh interesting i thought that was a clever interesting explanation for it because what i found was there was nothing to indicate that this guy was actually a fraud just that they couldn't really follow up with him very easily yeah but at the very least pierce and pierce were uh still very intrigued by this original stone and Mm -hmm. said uh, here's a reward offered for any additional stones that pop up, 500 bucks. Yeah. And all of a sudden, people are like, oh, I got some stones. You want some, <laughs> you want five, you want to give me $500? I'll show you some dare stones. Right. Uh, specifically, a man named Bill Eberhardt, who was uh, an artist. He was a stone cutter uh, from Fulton County right here in Atlanta. Yeah. And he was paid $2,000 for 42 forgeries that he turned over as dare stones. And it's not like they they said, "Hey, thanks for these forgeries. Here's some money." They thought they were they were real at the time, but um, it, on the stones, the series of stones, it basically tracks Eleanor. It's like Eleanor's little bread, breadcrumb diary. Yeah, that goes all the way down to Georgia, almost to Atlanta, and along the way, she marries a chief from the Cherokee tribe, has a, another daughter named Agnes. Um, you know. Uh, possibly, like, becomes romantically entangled with uh, Tom Hanks over email for a little while (laughs) and then ends up dying in a cave in Georgia. I just love the idea of this stonecutter, like, inventing the storyline, you know? (laughs) Right. He's like, this is the life I wish I had had. (laughs) You know, you could have been a screenwriter, Bill Everhart. Yeah. I wonder who, if he's got to have family here still. This is just like the late 30s in Fulton County. Oh, man. I hope somebody's listening. They're like, stop talking about my Uncle Bill like this. I think it's great. He's a Your good Uncle man. Bill's awesome. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is uh, flash forward to 1941 in April. The Saturday Evening Post said, you know what? These Norman Rockwell covers are great. Right. But what we really want to do is run an expose on these dare stones and basically shut it down as a complete forgery. Yeah. They, they did some real legwork to – just totally undermine the Dare Stones, which really kind of goes to to point out how much the Dare Stones had totally captured the imagination of the entire country. Yeah. Um, this was a big, big, widely publicized deal. And the Saturday Evening Post came along and said, no, look at this crack and this crack and this crack. And basically, by the end of the article, had just completely revealed the whole thing as a hoax. And definitely everything after that first one that Lewis Hammond found is most decidedly a hoax. 
at best, the Lewis Hammond stone is, like you were saying, up for debate. But the Saturday Evening Post said, no, there's anachronistic language in there. Things like reconnoiter would not have been used. Um, there's a problem with the fact that they used Arabic numerals, um, oh, which didn't come into, into use until later on. It's weird that she made, like, Vs instead of Us, which is kind of like Roman lettering a little yeah. bit. Um, and... At the time when the Saturday Evening Post dropped this article, it was like, oh, well, that's it. It's a total total fraud and a total hoax. But as the years kind of went by and Brunel University suffered a tremendous public relations crisis as a result of this, a lot of people looked really bad for verifying these stones as authentic and then just being totally undermined by the Saturday Evening Post. Brunel and and um, everyone related to the stones almost literally buried them away in a basement and then later on in an attic in Brunel and tried to forget about it as much as possible. Yeah, Pierce and Pierce had egg on their face, and it was no good. But people today say, again, that it's possible that first one might be, like, for real. Um, mm-hmm. It's different rock than these other ones. Right. It's this white, really bright white quartzite. Uh, interior and has a dark exterior. So it would have been something really good, like almost like a chalkboard mm-hmm. for her to use. So that sort of makes sense. And um, it doesn't have this anachronistic language that those other stones do. Uh, the sign-off is a little weird with EWD because that's probably not what she would have done in the 16th century. Right. Other people say, no, 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 it's still that Chowan Riverstone is a phony. And what they're hoping is is that modern techniques can... Uh, kind of test this thing out at some point and see if it's in fact legit. Yeah, because it's basically been cleared by a lot of the humanities people. Like there's a, an expert in medieval graffiti um, who said, this actually checks out pretty well. Here's an example of somebody using Arabic numerals. Here's an example of somebody signing their name in this kind of um, kind of uh, abbreviation. Uh-huh. Um, so a lot of it's been explained away. And the fact that it is white quartzite, that when she carved it, like you said, it would have been like a chalkboard, that would be a terrible stone for a forger to choose because you would have to go to tremendous amounts of trouble to 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 fake it, basically. You'd just choose a different stone. Um, so the fact that, that it would have been really hard to forge, and they tried uh, at the time of the Saturday Evening Post article to forge it three different ways, and nobody could do it. Um, really lends a lot of credence to the... It, it keeps hope alive that this first stone, the original stone, is actually real. That's right. So maybe we'll find out one day as our technology advances what happened to the original colonists at Roanoke or that this stone says exactly how it happened. That's great. I hope so. All right, Chuck, you got anything else? I got nothing else. Well, that is it for short stuff, everybody. Oh, wait, Jerry, you got anything else? Mer, mer, mer. Okay, well, that's it for short stuff, everybody. Uh, you can read a really great article on the Dare Stones on how stuff works, and you can listen to our original Roanoke episode, too, at stuffyoushouldknow.com. And uh, in the meantime, we'll see you next time. Short Stuff out. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.